0: back down and shut your trap it's time for keeping it, keeping sports, it sports with them three
1: are you ready are you ready well i'll need some beer Are you, ready? you have to ask me nicely come on
0: now don't be bashful are you ready ready are you ready for- place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league.
1: I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. he man, this time i do it my way. Uh,
0: wh- what's your name again? And now, uh, here's, here's your host, you know, M3, 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 Mike, Mike. Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 18th day of April. For everyone, I hope you all had a very good, happy, safe, healthy holiday weekend, whether you're celebrating uh, Easter, Passover, uh, Ramadan, whatever uh, holiday you may have been uh, celebrating, wishing the very best to you and uh your family out there. All, all peace and love as usual. Was not a great Sunday for yours truly. I mean, on one hand you have the essence of what any holiday should be about, and that's spending time with family, spending time with uh the people that are most important in your life. How we Even had uh, my sister's boyfriend uh, over to have dinner with myself, my mom, my brother, and uh, my other sister, Liz. And I'm sure it's not the last time that Emmy's boyfriend, Ryan, will be uh, joining us for family meals in the years to come. But... When it comes to the sports side of things, not a great Sunday for yours truly. And typically when I'm talking about a bad Sunday, typically you would think I'm talking about the New York Jets. And that was not the case of this Sunday because, hey, still got 10 days to wait until the draft, 10 days until they can do something to either make me happy or potentially annoy the living crap out of me. No, this Sunday was more about the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Nets. And I'll start with the Yankees, who, listen, it's 10 games into the season, and they're only a half game out of uh, first place in the division. Way too early to be looking at the standings, being concerned about, oh, playoff seeding, or even making the uh, postseason, that is. You know, what, Way too concerned to be throwing up the alarms on that. But when you watch this team, it feels like the same old crap the same old nonsense from 2021 all over again. And it's a different team to start this year compared to last year. Last year, you had Clint Frazier starting in left field. This year, it's probably an even more uh, aggravating player in Joey Gallo. This year, you don't have... Gary Sanchez to kick around, punch around as your uh, catcher. This year, it's a you know cast of thousands back there since Kyle Higashioka was not able to grab the role and run with it, and you've seen a lot of Trevino in the last couple of days. This year, they said, "Oh, we're not going to play Gleyber Torres at shortstop because he's better off at second base." when we've already seen him play shortstop on a couple of occasions including yesterday pinch hitting for IKF and then moving uh, Torres to shortstop late in the game i you know the big issue with all you've seen with the Yankees this year already is with the offense in general you know because the pitching staff the pitching staff you thought could be good, but it's gotten off to a great start. Outside of the first inning against Boston on opening day, Garrett Cole has been pretty good. Now, you expect greatness out of him every time out, but watching Cole so far this year to me is like watching a starter in their fifth or sixth spring training start. He's not completely stretched out. And I do expect as we go along here, he's going to pitch uh, better than this and go deeper into games as he gets up toward that 100 to 110 uh, pitch pitch count. Luis Severino, after essentially not pitching the last two years, has looked pretty good in his two starts. Montgomery's been, uh, but that's what you kind of expect out of him. Jamison Tyon ha- has looked okay compared to how he started last year. And Nestor Cortez is showing so far that last season was not a fluke. Hell, he's been awesome to start this year. He's struck out 17 batters in nine in the third innings and hasn't given up a run, including yesterday, Struck out 12 over five innings, and albeit against the Baltimore Orioles, just looked dominant. And the only thing stopping him from going deeper was the fact that it was his second start of the season coming off of his short spring training. Even had an immaculate inning. And, you know, the, the Yankee pitching staff is not a concern for you right now. You know, they're fifth in uh, starters ERA. Second overall in a bullpen ERA to, surprisingly, the Colorado Rockies. The the one concern you would have with the Yankee bullpen, or two concerns, excuse me. Aroldis Chapman uh, looks lost his last couple of times out. Even walking in the game-winning run on Friday night. And I'm a little bit concerned so far about the usage of Jonathan Luizica, the fact that he's already pitched in six of the 10 games. They haven't had a day off up until today, and at least half of those have been of an inning and a third, an inning and two thirds, something that you were kind of hoping that the Yankees would get away from doing too much with of this year, considering his injury history. But the main problem with the Yankees is their offense. And that was the problem last year, where last year, Judge and Stanton carried this offense and you didn't get a lot from anybody else. So far this year, their offense has been mediocre at best, bottom half of the league. Through 10 games, they've only scored 30 runs. And think about it. Three of those 10 games were against the Baltimore Orioles and they scored Six runs in total this weekend. Five of them coming after the second rain delay on Saturday night, where you know, boom, probably told them to get their heads out of their rear ends. Now they're hitting a buck ninety with runners in scoring position. That's twenty sixth in uh, the league. And it's. Been a lot of the same, you know. If they're not hitting home runs, they are not scoring runs. You know, Aaron Hicks surprisingly has gotten off to a decent start in the season, and that's probably what I why uh, Girardi was about to say why Boone has used him as the leadoff hitter a couple of times recently. Anthony Rizzo. Been on fire, been their best hitter on uh, these first ten games. Still don't understand, you know, yesterday's day off for him to start the game. Considering you had Ted A. off before you go and play uh, Detroit, and that they're they're very weird in how they do uh, these days off. I mean, yeah, there was a, a lefty on the mound, but anybody anybody out there name this left-handed pitcher and. You can maybe name two or three Baltimore Orioles, and that's about it. It's, you know, that they score five runs in the inning after the rain delay on Saturday. Scored six runs in total. That used to be an inning in Camden Yards, and it's not anymore. I mean, that they, you would have thought that the Orioles. Were the team with expectations this weekend? That the Orioles were the team that, oh, people say could win the American League East, not the punching bag, not the the team that four other teams are looking to beat up upon. And I can't, you know, I can't blame Aaron Boone because this is this is the way the roster has been put together. This is the way the analytics. Department has wanted this team to be. And that's a bunch of home, outside of DJ LeMayu, a bunch of home run hitters, a bunch of sluggers, you know, be what their nickname is, the Bronx Bombers. And so far they have been anything but bombers. And add on top of that aggravation watching them, I got to watch the Brooklyn Nets right after that, who, you know, they did what I asked them to do, did what I expected them to do, and that's win the first play-in game against the Cavaliers and give themselves some much-needed time off because you needed to get some guys healthy, get some guys back in the uh, midst of the rotation here and set yourself up for what was going to be a difficult battle against the Boston Celtics, who have seemed to figure themselves out since the change of the calendar. Remember, back at the end of 2021, as we were heading into the new calendar year, there were starting to be people questioning whether Brown and Tatum could play together, whether that mix up in Boston could truly work long-term. And, no, I think they've started to get things figured out there. You know, yet another big performance by both these guys who are coming of age and started to do that in the post—how ironic is it? They started to come of age in their very first postseason together— when they had Kyrie Irving as a a teammate, but Kyrie wasn't available, and they went on that deep playoff run, got all the way to the Eastern Conference uh, Finals. Now, each of the last two years, they've seen Kyrie Irving in the first round of the postseason, and this year, they're viewed as the favorites in that, with the fact that, they clearly have a size advantage against the Brooklyn Nets down low, even without Robert Williams III. I mean, They destroyed the Nets in the paint uh, yesterday with um, all the points in the paint. Horford out-rebounded both Claxon and Drummond combined, which Drummond has got to look himself in the mirror and be embarrassed after yesterday's performance. And it took a heroic effort by Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarter to even make this a game going down the stretch, I and mean, if this is how Kyrie is going to play in postseason games for for peak six, please fast every postseason game for the rest of this postseason. Um, for crying out loud, I I would not expect Durant to go nine for 24 from the field. Again, I would not expect him to have the struggles by his standards because he'll figure something out with the way that the Celtics were playing him yesterday. They were they had two men up in his grill the entire day and were trying to force the Nets into having someone else beat them. And they did, they did not have that consistent third option. As I said, if, if it were not for Kyrie's second half heroics, This would not have been a game going down the stretch. But, you know, as a Net fan, you would almost rather have gotten blown out by double digits, the way things were looking there late in the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter, than the way it ended. The fact that you get the big three by Kyrie Irving with about 45 seconds to go, that puts your head. You thought, oh, wow, they came all the way back from trailing by as much as, I think it was 15, 16 points at one point in the second half. They have the Celtics on the ropes here, but the big weakness of the Nets comes to bite them in the ass in those final 45 seconds, and that's, of course, their defense. The fact that they can't get a stop in big moments, and especially in the, the final sequence, you see how the Boston Celtics you know that they, they weren't looking to be the hero of the moment I and mean, last year Marcus Smart probably takes that three-point shot that he set up a a great fake on rather than pass the ball to a cutting Tatum and you know as I've continued to watch this play over and over again Since yesterday. My initial thought. Watching it live. And then watching it after the game was. Oh that was horrible defense. By Kyrie. He barely wailed at him. As uh, Tatum's diving in there. For the walk off layup. But the more I watch it. the, The even. worse defense. Comes from Kevin Durant. Because Kevin Durant. The entire way up the court is guarding Tatum. And as soon as the ball is in Marcus Smart's hands, he takes his eye off of Tatum and lets him run right by him. And there you have him wide open past Durant before he gets to Kyrie for the easy walk-off layup. Putting the Celtics up 1-0 in this series. Now, doesn't mean I think now that the Celtics are going to sweep this series or win this series in five. No, I I still think that this has a chance to be one of the great first-round playoff series we've ever seen. But what it's going to take is, of course, a much better game from Kevin Durant. It's going to take... You know, someone stepping up as that third option, whether it be a Seth Curry, whether it be uh, Bruce Brown, who, what a surprise, he was talking real big after the game against the Cavaliers, and he was, uh, you know, barely a participant in uh, yesterday's action. But, you know, anyone, you know, just like I said a couple minutes ago, you know, wanting to blame the Yankees' struggles on Aaron Boone, and you you could blame the fact that he has a a seemingly different lineup every day. You really can't blame this on Steve Nash or anything that the Nets do on Steve Nash for this one reason. Remember, when he first got hired, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant said on that podcast, oh, we really don't want to be coach to we just want to play basketball so more of the blame needs to be on them and the way that the team plays than anything Nash draws up in a huddle or any any forms of lineup constructions that you uh, disagree with during the course of the game I mean the the one mistake that he did make, as the season went on, was playing uh, Johnson way too much, and that problem got fixed with Johnson getting cut uh, in the final weeks before the postseason. But this is more this is more on the players. It, you know, you see, we've seen it all the time that teams will ratchet up, step up their intensity as far as the way they play defense in the postseason. And this needs to be. Another one of those times. It's there. They're capable of doing so. And Durant is capable of, you know, at least keeping Tatum in check and having a hand in his face for most of the game than the same way that we saw the Celtics uh, doing it to him the entire game. We just need to see it happen. And it all starts on Wednesday night in game two. You can't have a situation where they lose game two. Is it impossible for the Nets to win four out of five games? No. But this is a different Celtics team than it was last year. They seem unfazed by missing significant pieces. Now, they lost Tatum or Brown. That's a different story but they've grown up a lot in these last couple of years. They've they've realized that they have a great chance at doing something special this year. They're not just, oh, those pesky little kids anymore. And they want to hand it to the Nets the same way that the Nets did to them last postseason. All right, a lot to get to today, Uh Mixing some thoughts on the NFL, some more thoughts on the uh, Game 1s of the NBA playoffs, as well as more controversy surrounding the Washington Commanders. uh, A controversial uh, decision made by the Dodgers last week. A lot I want to talk about today. I hope you stick with me through uh, this entire podcast. And please, at this time... Sit back, relax, help put your feet up on the table if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
1: also know how to shoot edit and post videos you become a pretty hot commodity that's the training you get at connecticut school of broadcasting connecticut school
2: of broadcasting with locations up and down the east coast from massachusetts to miami call 1-800 tv radio or log on to gocsb.com. connecticut school of broadcasting the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools redefining training in radio tv and new media get trained get connected 1-800-TV-RADIO
0: Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. As I said, I hope you all had a very good Easter. I'll tell you who it was a a great Easter for, a great week for in general, and that would be uh, Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, who got a brand-new contract from uh, the Raiders over this last week. Three years for $121.5 million. And the contract comes across as very team-friendly because, say, for whatever reason, they wanted to release him or even thought about trading him after... This coming year, it would only amount to five point six million dollars of dead cap money against them, and the negotiations here, the uh, the uh, updating of his contract, allowed them to be spenders of uh, this offseason, allowed them to go out and make make a big move like adding. Devontae Adams to uh, their team and give him that true number one target that he had been missing. Um, You know, that deep threat that could help him. So it was a very good uh, week for uh, Derek Carr. And, you know, we talk about Devontae Adams that threat that he was um, missing. Well, we've seen a lot of these wide receivers moving around here. It's a lot like how the quarterback movement has been the last two years. These wide receivers have either been getting paid or moving on to a new place to get paid. You know, Stefan Diggs got paid by the Buffalo Bills. But you've seen... The likes of uh, Devontae Adams move from Green Bay to Las Vegas, get a record-breaking deal. That then gets topped by Tyreek Hill as he forces his way out of Kansas City to go to Miami and get um, more guaranteed money. Hell, even Christian Kirk got probably the most insane wide receiver contract of this offseason that four years, 81 million, 84 million dollars, excuse me, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that is probably what set the wide receiver market on fire. Set it at the time that a guy that's a good receiver, but I don't think anyone would necessarily consider amongst their top ten receivers getting paid like a, a top three or four guy in the sport was going to have the rest of these guys going, hmm, if he's making that, what could I get? And now you're going to start to see more of that, especially this morning when Adam Schefter tweeted out, you know, and that, that guy must really get no sleep whatsoever, when he's tweeting out at 6 a.m. that re- wide receivers Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, and Terry McLaurin are not expected to participate in their team's on-field off-season programs uh, starting this week because they want new contracts at a time this off-season when wide receiver deals have exploded. And especially they want these new deals because what do all three of these guys have in common? They were all second-round draft picks. So with that being said, and all of them entering uh, the third and fourth years of their contracts respectively, knowing that they don't have that fifth year option in their deal that a first rounder does, they want to get paid right now. They want to get that new big money deal that they see all of their contemporaries uh getting and want to get to that lockdown security. Um, and you know, it, it puts each one of these teams in somewhat of a bind. I mean, the 49ers coming off of what was a deep postseason uh, run uh, last year, want to make sure that they keep what has become one of the most valuable weapons in the, this sport in Debo Samuel, happy. Terry McClellan, he's viewed as a team leader in uh, Washington, and to help keep with team uh, morale, he will be showing up at the team's off-season program this week, but he's not going to participate in any on-field drills, trying to put some at least on-field pressure on the front office. And the Titans know that they just pretty much got a nothing year out of Julio Jones. You really want to, you know, risk making AJ Brown uh, unhappy and that leading to down the road him walking for absolutely nothing. So these teams are put in interesting spots right now because they can either pay their guys, which would be the correct thing for each team at the quarterback position because, let's face it, none of these teams necessarily have that quarterback that you look at that can carry the day for them, like a Mahomes, Rodgers, uh, Brady, Josh Allen, uh, Deshaun Watson, as long as he's not suspended. They they don't have those kind of guys. They all have good to decent quarterbacks, but not that true elite stud quarterback and would be severely lessened if they lost any of these guys. And that, that leads to point number two, because we saw the Packers willing to move on for Devonta Adams, for a boatload of draft picks. Saw the Chiefs want to move on from Tyree Kill for a boatload of draft picks. With us being 10 days out from the draft, do you start listening on one of these guys if you're the Titans, Niners, or Commanders, respectively? And that leads to a team like my team, the New York Jets, who... I said this a couple of weeks ago. I brought this point to the table when they did not get Tyree Kill. At some point, you got to make that move that says to your fan base and to your team, we're going for it. That you know, that move that changes the franchise, changes the feel of things with this team. And you know, I'm sitting here t- today, I'll tell you, 10 days out from the draft, while I would not touch the fourth overall pick in this draft. If one of these teams came calling, especially Washington with Terry McClellan and said, we'll do Terry McClellan for the number 10 overall pick and say two other draft picks, one of your seconds and like a, a fifth or sixth round draft pick. If you're the Jets, don't you got to do that? Don't you? Hell, don't you got to make the phone call and make an offer like that to Washington? I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you're told no. The ap, uh, But the, at the very minimum, you see all of this chaos with these wide receivers in the sport right now. And the fact that you didn't spend a boatload of money on one free agent in particular. You brought in... A lot of quality players, but you didn't spend big on one player in general. Saving up potentially for this option to become available for you. Don't you got to take this shot? Don't you have to take this risk? Especially with your quarterback going into year two with the fact that you're coming off of what was looked at as a pretty good draft and could look be looked at as a great draft for the Jets if Zach Wilson turns into what every Jet fan hopes and prays he can become. So, to me, now, I don't know if Debo Samuel exactly fits them because not a lot of people run an offense the way Kyle Shanahan do. But in the case of... uh, A.J. Brown and especially Terry McLaurin. If you're of uh, the uh, Jets, you gotta at least make the phone call. The worst thing that uh, you can be told is no in in that kind of situation. And you now we we saw, you know, with the Jets, the most important thing for them is the development of Zach Wilson, as I said, because you can't have it turn into another Sam Darnold situation. Well, Sam Darnold may have some competition in the very near future, as far as the Panthers quarterback position is concerned, or at the very least get pushed aside when it comes to their quarterback situation, because the Panthers are now viewed as the favorite to potentially trade for or acquire if he uh, gets released Baker Mayfield. And listen, in some ways you feel bad for Baker. In some ways you don't like some of the off the field stuff. When it comes to Baker Mayfield, he's done to himself by being in too many commercials before he's actually truly accomplished anything. But When on the field and healthy, we've seen a guy that's gritty, that has this me-against-the-world mindset that truly fit in there in Cleveland because the Browns have always been that little engine that could, that us-against-the-world kind of franchise. And now he's been kicked to the curb when a better quarterback became available Albeit one that has a million red flags attached to him, and we don't exactly know when Deshaun Watson will be eligible or available to play. But you know, he said last week, Baker Mayfield, trying to be in trying to be respectful to the Cleveland Browns, he was on this podcast called uh, the "You Never Know" podcast. And never once exactly ripped the Browns, never brought them up in any disparaging way, but did say the following, quote, 100% I feel disrespected because I was told one thing and they completely did another. That's what I'm in the middle of right now. And you know what? Okay. I got my taste of it because I had four different head coaches in four years, a bunch of different coordinators. I've had the highs and they always come back. So, you know, this is a guy that he's been humble. It sounds like he's been humbled a little bit, but at the same time, he's got that moxie to him that is like, all right, they clearly don't want me. Now let me go somewhere that I can prove to the rest of the world and prove to myself that I'm still a very good quarterback in this league, that I'm a potential winning quarterback. And that's all we've thought about Baker this entire time. No one's thought that he's one of these quarterbacks that could carry the day, although he tried to present himself like that with all the commercials that he was in. But he he got a little bit of humble pie here. And now maybe in his next location, he can uh, just chill out a little bit and can, it can be more about playing football than it can be all the, the outside noise and all of the marketing and commercialism that comes along with the quarterback position. Now, what's interesting is I wouldn't expect the Panthers to be the only team in the uh, mix of things. Uh, Maybe the Colts check in. Maybe the Texans check in. Before like a month ago, I would have thought that the Washington Commanders be a team that checked in before they got um, Carson Wentz. But hey, the Commanders got more problems than they know what to deal with right now, especially with another off-the-field um, controversy being thrown their way. And I will I will get to that in uh, just a little while, um, give you some thoughts on that, as well as more thoughts on the NBA playoffs coming up. So please continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
1: Know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of
2: Broadcasting, with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1 800 TV Radio or log on to gocsb.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools, redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained, get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO.
0: Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. Remember, as always, you can find uh, the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash Keeping It Sports with M3, as well as on Twitter at Keeping It Sports. And then there's my personal Twitter account of at M3 uh, Rosanski. You can see those. I'm about to show them right now if you're watching the Facebook link. See, there's... All of the places you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash keeping it sports with m3, at keeping it sports, at m 3 Rosansky on Instagram, it's at keeping it sports with M3, as well as on you know, my personal Instagram account of at M34Life. All the places that you can find the podcast on social media. Now, of course the Nets and Celtics weren't the only game ones of the NBA playoffs that took place over the last couple of days. The playoffs got started on Saturday with uh, the Jazz going up against the Mavericks, Mavericks being without Luka Doncic and uh no, I was kind of surprised how close a game that this uh, ended up being, considering the Jazz dominated uh, the, the inside game you know, the, with 53 rebounds, 17 by Gobert, uh, we're getting a lot of the second chance uh, opportunities in uh, this game. But the problem was, you know, a team—they're a team that typically is pretty good three-point shooting. Um, they were second in the league this season in uh, made three point shots per game and uh, struggled from behind the three point arc, including, you know, first half. You know, Donovan Mitchell couldn't get anything going. And then as soon as they came out of the break in the second half, it, it's like something got plugged in, and something got uh, a switch got turned on with them. And he, he would explode for thirty of his thirty two points, and you know the the Mavericks were looked at as a sneaky dangerous team coming into this postseason, considering the way Luca played in the second half and how that team seemed to rally behind not having Kristaps Porzingis anymore. But it's a completely different ball game without Luca Doncic, and the problem is you don't know when this guy is coming back because. The calf injury is one of those injuries that one day you think, oh, it's fine, you're good to go. And all of a sudden you take one slightly wrong step in a game and suddenly it restarts the entire process as far as recovery goes. I mean, you just hope, not just as a basketball, as a Maverick fan, but as a basketball fan in general that he, his absence is not the reason that the Mavericks have an early exit in this postseason because you know, it's one thing if the opposition's just flat out better than you, but injuries, they just leave a bad taste in your mouth on, you know, what could have been all off season long. Now, the, the other three games that day were all double-digit victories as well. Uh, probably the most surprising outcome of the day was the Timberwolves over the Grizzlies, at, l- at least on paper, considering it was the seventh seed winning uh, a home court ge- uh, road game against uh, the, the number two seed Grizzlies. But what, you ha- what you're what you forgetting here is, yeah, the Grizzlies have some postseason experience here with uh, last year's uh, winning uh, a first-round playoff series, but the Timberwolves, they have a bunch of veterans on that team. Yes, Carl Anthony Towns has only made the playoffs one time uh, prior to this in his career, but he's got veterans around him and uh, Anthony Edwards To make up for that you know a lot of us can't stand Patrick Beverly he's a pest he's annoying comes off as a bit of a cheap shot artist at times but he's been through the thick of it when it comes to the postseason a a lot of times with the Rockets and with the Los Angeles Clippers no D'Angelo Russell while he wasn't Great yesterday he's got postseason experience, so there's a lot of veteran experience on that team that helps guide some of the youngsters through while the you know Memphis Grizzlies they don't have a lot of that they, you know that these are a lot of young guys that grew up together and through this team and while they built this mentality. Of uh, this year of no matter who was out, we can overcome whatever you know they got popped in the mouth the the other night and now are going to be looking forward to tomorrow night when they can kind of try to swi- turn the switch here and hopefully get this series back in their favor uh, the seventy sixers came out and blew out the Raptors, was never really a game after the uh, first quarter. And the biggest thing here, I, I said coming into this postseason that all of the pressure in the world is on James Harden. No one in the NBA has more pressure on them coming into the postseason than does James Harden. Well, some of that pressure is going to be lessened if the others step up and Maybe not play to the level that they did on Saturday, because I don't know if you can expect 38 out of Tyreek's maxi every single game, but if you're getting competent, really good performances each night by him, and especially Tobias Harris, who seemed out of place there all season long, then the, the 76ers Sixers are going to seem impossible to beat because you know what you're going to get out of Embiid as long as he's healthy. And they've got a great chance to take a 2-0 series lead over the Raptors with the fact that the Raptors are going to be missing a lot of people due to either injuries or sickness heading into Game 2. Going to be without Scottie Barnes, without uh, Thaddeus Young, uh, Gary Trent's sick yeah uh you're um, still gonna have you know a, a lot of the their you know um main uh starters like siakam um in uh the mix there and uh, van Blee, but th- this team uh, th- is the 76ers are going to need to have a 2-0 lead in this series when you consider a lot of pressure will be put on both Harris and Maxi heading into Game 3 when they already know that they're going to be without teammates due to covid 19 vaccine restrictions um, up in Canada w- w- when M- Matisse Diebold is going to be unable to play in that game. So, as important as it is for Toronto to tie up the series uh, tonight, it's even more important for uh, Philly to kind of put their foot on the Raptors' throats tonight so that. No, all the pressure in the world is put on them and the Sixers can take a almost a sigh of relief heading into game three when they're going to be without um, a vo- very important piece in their rotation. It almost seems like an unfair matchup, Warriors versus Nuggets, when you consider the Nuggets are without two of their big three on that team. They're not going to have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter back uh, in all likelihood in uh, this postseason. And there's only so much uh, uh, the Joker can do, especially going up against this Warriors team. I mean, you look at it. Steph Curry came back for the first time in a month, came, came off the bench, and that wasn't even the biggest story in this game. It was the play of Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole, who we're seeing him being, you know, a coming-of-age star for this team before our very eyes, and a guy that you look at and you say, damn it, the Warriors have another star developing before our very eyes with that team as Steph and Clay are entering their 30s, as Draymond's heading toward the second half of his career. Now this kid is uh becoming an up-and-coming rising star for them and helping lead the way. And, you know, the, the Warriors showed uh, in this game that when they have the the lineup of Curry, Clay, Draymond, Poole, and Wiggins on the court together, it's almost an unfair matchup, especially going up against this Nuggets team. I mean, when they were on the floor together for the five minutes in total they outscored all uh, the the nuggets by 14 and uh, went 6 for 10 from uh, the uh, field together and you know now it's going to be interesting to see what uh, is done with the lineup heading into tonight's game do they decide to make this their starting lineup going forward or do they Go back to Poole coming off the bench because there's there's only so much time that you're going to have Steph coming off the bench. I think that was more of a minutes restriction thing of anything at all. You're not going to have the best player or the best shooter on the planet uh, coming off the bench for an entire postseason run. That would just be ridiculous. And speaking of one of the best shooters um, in the league, uh, We talked about someone being handed humble pie earlier. Yeah, yesterday was that moment for Trey Young as he had the worst performance of his young career when he went 1-for-12 and 0-for-7 from behind the three-point arc. And just his demise led to the utter demise of the Hawks as they got blown out in uh, Miami. And the big key for the Miami Heat is the performance of Duncan Robinson off the bench. You know, typically you would expect Hero to be the number one guy for them off of the bench. But Duncan Robinson had a fantastic performance yesterday. I couldn't miss from behind the arc. And that combined with a poor start, uh, By the hawks who went one for 11 from the field never never seemingly had a chance after the uh, first quarter put them in a uh, deficit i mean where was the trade that was taunting the cavalier fans after friday night is what you were wondering but hey i guess no everyone's allowed a bad game Every once in a while, and you you hope that it doesn't turn into a, a repeat thing. Otherwise, the Hawks are going to be done in four or five games. In this series, the series that I don't expect to go very long are the the two series that we saw close things out last night: Bucks, Bulls, and Suns, Pelicans. In the case of Bucks, Bulls, you know the Bulls you know they found a way to be competitive in in this game even what what for what was poor shooting nights for both DeRozan and Levine. and the fact that uh of of Vucevic uh was not great from behind the three point I mean at, at some point you know if uh your Billy uh, Donovan, you aren't you looking at your crew and, and saying, "Guys, stop shooting three pointers." Aren't you looking at them and saying, "Like what? Oh, like what the hell are we doing here?" That, that went seven for thirty-seven from behind the three-point arc, and you know, in the late stages of this game, where they actually had a lead in the final couple minutes to go, they couldn't get a shot to go down. The only reason they even remain competitive in this is because they played such feisty defense down the stretch. They were getting Giannis into foul trouble, and the you now that and and the the uh, and their uh, poor three point shooting weren't enough to completely hold off the box and the box. It was. Probably a little bit of a a wake up call for them because they probably looked at the Bulls and they've seen them how they've slipped down in the second half of this season and thought that, oh, this is just going to be an easy series for us. But they realized that, you know, that they, since they don't have PJ Tucker anymore, they don't have anyone that's going to. Play that bulldog kind of style of defense, like you're seeing from uh, the Bulls. That they're going to have to ratchet up the intensity and get, you know, much better performances from Giannis's sidekicks in Middleton and Drew Holiday if they want to end this series quickly. Especially with the fact that the the Eastern Conference is so loaded at the top with themselves, Miami, Philadelphia, whoever comes out of the Boston, Brooklyn series, that you almost can't afford a long series when you're going up against a team that talent-wise, there is such a humongous disparity against them. And then you look at uh, the Phoenix Pelicans uh, series. I mean, you give the Pelicans credit—the fact that you know they could have just melded it in in the second half, down by 23 at halftime—and you know, even with a off-shooting night by McCollum, they were able to fight their way uh, back in this game. But you know, I give them credit. I'm always on this guy. I'm always ripping him, but. Chris Paul came came up big in the late stages of this game, especially that he had 19 in the fourth quarter, but there was that one stretch there in the fourth where in a, about a two-minute span, he had three consecutive three-point shots and finished it up with a layup just when it looked like the Pelicans were starting to make a little bit of a run here, starting to make it a, a little bit of a dicey, scary situation, but... You know, the things I take out of this weekend, Philly is going to be really dangerous if they're getting uh, that kind of performance out of their others. The Nuggets stand no shot against the Warriors, um, especially if they're going to keep going with that deaf lineup. The Mavericks are dead men walking if Luka is not back by the uh, next game and it does not... Seem likely uh, that he's going to be playing uh, tonight. And uh, the Phoenix Suns and uh, the uh, Bucks got a lot more than they expected out of their opponents. And maybe that was the wake up call that they've needed um, rather than sleepwalking through this entire first round of the postseason. All right, I'm going to take. One more break here and then come back on the other side. Finish things up with some thoughts on Clayton Kershaw and the nonsense going on down in our nation's capital with the commanders right now. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
1: Know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting.
2: Connecticut School of Broadcasting, with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1 800 TV Radio or log on to gocsb.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools, redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained, get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO
0: Alright, only a few more minutes left here, but a couple more things I want to get to, such as... No, I, like many of the rest of you, as I was driving home from work on Wednesday night, was extremely disappointed, at least at the time, by the decision of the Los Angeles Dodgers when they pulled Clayton Kershaw after seven perfect innings. Only 80 pitches had struck out 13. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, Damn, there's only been, what, less than like 24, 25 perfect games in the history of this sport. You know, that these things are still such a rarity. And for it to be the first full week of the baseball season would have been something really cool to see, especially with how easily he was mowing through the Twins lineup. But I get it. I understand it the fact that it was his first start of the season after not throwing for much of the off season only just having a 75 pitch simulated game uh, right before this you know they don't owe us anything they don't owe us as baseball fans anything what their main concern is is having one of their best guys ready and available for the long stretch here for the long run as they uh, hope to make a deep dive um, into the postseason again this year. And they're going to have a fight on their hands in the NL West, especially with the start that the San Francisco Giants have gotten off to, showing that last year was no fluke. But uh no, it really. It, it. I was disappointed. As I said at the time, I was. I was annoyed. I text a friend of mine that was, that is a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. But in the end, the only thing they, uh, people they owe are the Dodgers team and their fan base, and that's having their legend healthy for the entirety of the season. They don't owe us a damn thing. Now, speaking of the Giants, the Giants are going to be in the area this week as they uh, go up against the New York Mets, who the Mets, if not for the Giants, would be probably the talk of baseball right now as they have the second best record in not just the NL, but all of Major League Baseball at 7-3 7-3 and in their first 10 games. And you'll, you'll look at what the Mets right now. They've taken care of business against bad teams. Yeah, you would have liked some sweeps here in these first three series against the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Diamondbacks, all teams that you don't expect to be in the mix. You don't expect them to be in the thick of any contention this year. But they're, you know... That's the signs of a good team is taking care of business against bad competition. I mean, last Monday was pretty bad. Last Monday was a very annoying loss with the fact that you're up 4 nothing going into the eighth and uh, the bullpen blew up. I mean, and that that's something that the Mets are going to have to answer for as the season goes on because their bullpen has been, quite frankly, a mess at times uh, so far this year, especially, you know, you know, Jolie Rodriguez is showing he can't face right-handers. Uh, Seth Lugo, I have no idea what the hell has happened with this guy. Um, you know, like two years ago, I, I looked at Seth Lugo as the best reliever in the Met bullpen, as the guy that I most trusted with the game on the line, especially with how much of a mess Diaz can be at times. And you've seen Lugo blow up now twice in the last week here. Got to get him uh, straightened out a bit, but you, know, you you take a lot of positives from this start from the Mets so far. The the one, as I said, beating up on bad competition and uh, not you know, letting what has been a favorable early schedule go to waste, and two, um, continue to play well no matter who's in the lineup, and they're now without two regulars in Nimmo and Mark Canna who are both on the COVID IL. But, you know, the the Met, you would think that without Jacob deGrom that it would put this rotation in a hairy situation, but it's been anything but that. Everybody in the rotation has stepped up and uh, done their part and done a great job. You, you know you've got him what you expect out of Max Scherzer. Chris Bassett has been a stud through two starts. Carrasco has looked like the the Cleveland formerly Cleveland Indians version of Carrasco. And then the young guys who are stepping in for injuries with Walker now on the shelf. You got a decent performance out of Peterson yesterday. And what what else can you say? About Tyler McGill. He's been awesome his first two starts of the season, hasn't given up a run, and now you hope that he can continue what I don't think is a magical run. I mean, I don't know if you can call a guy magical when he's putting up zeros and throwing 96 to 99 miles an hour and able to maintain that velocity through his start. So, it's been a very good, very fun, exciting start for the Met fans so far. You just hope that some of these issues, such as the bullpen and you know the dreadfulness that is watching uh, Robinson Cano play, don't come back and bite them. Now I was going to scream and complain about the, the embarrassment that is um, Camden Yards and the nonsense that they've done. Updating that. But I think that goes without saying how much of an atrocity left field looks like at Camden Yards now. If you don't believe me, go look at it on you know YouTube or Google or something like that. What's a real problem, though, is what the NFL has got to deal with now. And that's once again an issue with the Washington Commanders. I mean, It's already bad enough that we've got uh, this... Uh, Inquiry that they're dealing with with the league and with um, with the government over uh, the team's workplace and um, ha- and handling certain uh conduct uh, going on there um, in the last several years but now you have a situation here where the NFL is going to really have to consider putting the foot down and kicking Daniel Snyder out. Something that they should have done a long time ago, but now it's becoming even more apparent. As a report came out uh, last week, allegations made by a former vice president of sales and customer service, uh, Jason Friedman, who worked for the commanders, um, the now known as commanders for the for 24 years, that the commanders have allegedly withheld revenue from visiting teams and refundable deposits from season ticket holders. That owner Daniel Snyder may have engaged in, quote, troubling and long-running and potential unlawful pattern of financial conduct that allegedly involved him withholding as many as $5 million in refundable deposits from six season ticket holders and hiding money that the team um, made on revenue that is supposed to be shared amongst the other 31 um, teams in the NFL. Even going as far as in doing things such as... Um, The team created financial improprieties such as um, uh, tickets that were uh, reportedly registered under Roger Goodell's name and uh, uh, improperly attributing revenue that was brought in saying that it came from events such as uh, the Navy Notre Dame football game at FedEx Field or Concerts like a Kenny Chesney concert that was held there that saying that s- certain amounts of money that they made came from those events rather than uh, games that the Washington Commanders um, held just so that they wouldn't have to pay that in revenue sharing to the other 31 owners. If there is any truth to that and you add that to the uh, workplace misconduct that is uh, also looming over Snyder's head, then he's got to be kicked out. I mean, because it, you know the workplace m- misconduct is bad enough, but then when you start dealing with financial situations that he's withholding refunds from the paying customer and withholding money from the other 31 owners, you know, these other billionaires are not going to like one of their contemporaries stealing money, potential money from them. I mean, Derek, the, one of the main reasons why he has remained the owner of that team for so long is because he's got big-time backing and support from one of the most powerful owners in the entire sport, that being Jerry Jones. But even Jerry Jones is going to look at that and say, I'm not going to allow this guy to steal money from me. I'm not going to... He's withhold, probably held millions upon millions of dollars from the rest of us over the years. And I trusted this guy. I thought of him highly. And now seeing this... How can I respect him? How can I trust him if he's stealing potential income from my pocket, from uh, going into my franchise? I mean, this is why they have revenue sharing so that there's not this haves versus have-nots situation. And now hearing this, I mean, if there's any truth to this, how can you be one of these owners and say, oh, this guy's good enough to keep around? Hell, How can you, if you're Roger Goodell, you're saying you're trying to protect the integrity of not just the game, but the sport in general, and you look at these other 31 owners and say, oh, having Daniel Snyder around is what's best for business. And he has been, and you you ask any Washington commander fan about this, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing. He has been nothing but an embarrassment to have part of the NFL since he bought uh the the controlling ownership of that team um what like 25 years ago or so, something like that it's been a long time for this guy to get the hell out of there and my only thinking is that the only reason he is still the owner of the Washington Commanders is he ha- must have some kind of dirt held over all of the other powerful owners in this league. That's why they don't want to go to court on the Brian Flores situation because I've said it before that if the NFL is in court, all of their skeletons that they have in their closet will be brought up, will be dug up, and that is something that the league just does not want to deal with. And that, my friends, was keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, April 18th, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Stay happy. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. Now.
1: I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell you. Now
2: leave. I'll be back.